Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we cover the extraordinary lengths people go to to create their families, including people who build their families without partners. A growing trend today is using third-party reproduction in the form of sperm, egg, and or embryo donation in order to become a solo parent. Today's episode is presented by California Cryobank. With over 40 years of experience and a diverse selection of over 300 highly screened sperm donors, California Cryobank maintains the industry's highest quality standards to give clients the support they need and the best possible opportunity for a successful pregnancy. For more, visit cryobank.com. Meet matchmaker Rachel Russo, a single mom by choice who believes that having a baby on her own is one of the single best decisions she's made for her love life. I mean, I, I never wanted to be in a relationship just for the sake of being in a relationship. And so I suppose what I did is sort of weigh the pros and cons and thought about, well, I have my whole life to find that relationship, but I really only have a small window to actually have a child if I'm going to to do this myself and carry a baby. <laughs> I guess I believe that you could have a lot of what you want in life, but not necessarily at the same time. So this was me just prioritizing and saying, you know what? Babies first, love can come later. Love can come at any time. I could be 80 years old in a nursing home, right? Hopefully not. <laughs> At 30 years old, Rachel had a matchmaking client who was also a top fertility doctor and offered her the opportunity to freeze her eggs for free. Rachel declined thinking marriage and babies would soon come. Little did she know then that six years later, as she faced a tough fertility journey, she would look back on this doctor's offer with some regrets. At this time, she wrote us at Pregnantish to say, quote, Andrea, with three failed IUIs, a ticking clock, a recent autoimmune disorder diagnosis, a strong desire for motherhood, deep contemplation of IVF, and the motivation to inspire other women to take charge of their fertility before it's too late. Well, she said she wanted to add her voice to this conversation of infertility and modern family building. And now today, she's joining us with a newborn at home to talk about why she made the decision to have a baby on her own without a partner how she navigated all the steps involved, including picking a sperm donor, and who and how she's found her community now through this very modern life and love chapter she's on. Oh, Rachel, it is so good to have you. I'm excited to dive in. I know you have a newborn at home, so thanks so much for being on the Pregnant Podcast. Thank you, and I love the introduction. It was very thorough. You know, I'm so excited you're here because... Right away, I have to mention, we've known each other through the years, through the dating and relationship world. I think I was doing it a little longer when we met, but we met through social, then we met in person. And then when Pregnish launched, we reconnected. Do you remember all of that? You know, what was happening in your life at that time when you reached out to us at Pregnantish? It's so funny. I, I also remember seeing you at a Starbucks, random, not a Starbucks, a Sephora, I believe recently, <laughs> a couple of years back at a Columbus Circle, maybe when I was living in the city and I was living the matchmaker life and I was very busy working with high-end clients and socializing. And sure, now a lot of that has changed with the pandemic and I, I'm back in the suburbs with a newborn in the town I grew up in. So <laughs> it's interesting, but I'm still working in the dating industry and it's just a little different now. Wow. Well, yeah, so much has happened in just a couple years. And 
that's what we're going to delve into, of course, today. So I, I actually want to start with when you decided to undergo fertility treatments to try to become a solo parent, what motivated that decision? It was actually a relationship that motivated this decision. So I had been thinking about it before it crossed my mind, but I actually never knew anyone who was a single parent by choice or that this even really existed. But I, I kind of, uh, I think I saw a book about it and I didn't really read it, but I, I vaguely knew of it. And then I was in a relationship and it ended because he decided that he didn't want to have kids, any more kids. He had two and they were great. And I, I read a book about being a stepmom. Like I was super excited. We only dated for a little over six months, but it was seemed like it was serious. And I asked him right away early on, like literally one of the first dates, if he would want to have another child, breaking all of the dating rules. But I knew he was <laughs> in his late 40s and he had boys that were adolescents. So I know how it is being a, a matchmaker. I know a lot of men of that age who've been divorced and have older kids They'll say that they're open to to having kids, but it's kind of not what they really want a lot of times. And it's something that maybe if they fell magically in love with the right woman and the bar is set really high, then then they would. So I was skeptical and oh, my gut was probably right. But everything happens for a reason, I believe. And that relationship ended because he he just wasn't really wanting to have more kids. And I knew that I wanted at least one. So at that point, I said, I'm 35 and I need to do something. Ticking clock, as you said, I I knew that I had to find an alternative way to become a mom. And what did you know about that at that time? Because that's certainly not an easy decision, but it's a high stakes decision. It's probably one of the most important decisions you've made in your life. But what did you know about that path? at that time? Well, I didn't know much. I started doing some research and I actually considered co-parenting as well because I thought, oh, is it better to to have another partner as a co-parent, even if it's not a romantic parent, or is it better to kind of do it myself and get help and, and sort of find my village, as everyone says, it takes a village and family support and friends or hiring postpartum doulas or childcare, whatever. I mean, there's, there's ways to have raising a child without having a romantic partner. So I sort of explored both and did the research. I did some consultations with some experts, actually someone who specializes in spiritual fertility in New York City as well. And I really did some soul searching and journaling to find out more about the path and if it was right for me. What convinced you it was right for you? Well, okay. So co-parenting wasn't as desirable to me. I, I thought <laughs> I'm going to have to share my future child with someone else that I'm not even in love with. And then there might be complications when I do fall in love with someone. And then there's like this other guy in the picture. And then maybe I'm restricted to living in a certain area close to him. And then I have to kind of make all the decisions with someone else. And so what convinced me was the idea of freedom of I can do this on my own. I don't need a man. I literally can get pregnant from a sperm donor. So technically I need a man <laughs> I have resources to do it. And I will, I will have like total autonomy here and it's really what I want. And I was trying, I was giving myself a little more time because of course I want happily ever after and to find the husband and all of that. I'm not opposed to that by any means. So 
a little bit before I made this decision, I was still trying to date, but I found that after I had ended that relationship with my ex, now I unfortunately had a little bit of a trust issue. And I, I didn't believe that I was going to meet the person on the time clock that I needed to, to meet him, fall in love, get engaged, get married and have children. I just thought this isn't going to happen. What if I'm, I'm being lied to? And what if I'm going to settle? And I just started looking at everyone as like, is this the potential father of my child? And I realized that that is not healthy and not the way to approach dating and not the way I want to start a hopefully lifelong relationship with a partner. That's yeah, it's so interesting. I think in the future, you know, for years, I've predicted dating and relationship trends. I'm sure you've done some of that as well. And I just really think in the future as people freeze eggs, embryos, you know, cryopreservation is now more and more used and people are going to freeze and then date and then revisit it later. The technology wasn't there 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, but that's going to radically change dating. But for now, exactly what you're saying, like you don't wanna be across from your date, even though, <laughs> let's be honest, dating is the exchange of, even kissing is the exchange of DNA. We're trying to figure out, are you a good match for us? Even though, even if we don't wanna procreate, that's how dating is designed, but we don't want it to be first and foremost on our brains while we're you know, sipping coffee on a first date. That's just not the best approach, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's a total turnoff to men. We know that <laughs> if you're talking about babies on the first date, but somehow <laughs> sometimes it, it does happen. It's just kind of like the exception to the rule that things would be that fast tracked and that it would work out and it would actually be the right compatible fit too. I mean, I, I never wanted yes. to be in a relationship just for the sake of being in a relationship. And so I suppose what I did is sort of weigh the pros and cons and thought about, well, I have my whole life to find that relationship, but I really only have a small window to actually have a child if I'm going to to do this myself and carry a baby. <laughs> I guess I believe that you could have a lot of what you want in life, but not necessarily at the same time. So this was me just prioritizing and saying, you know what? Babies first, love can come later. Love can come at any time. I could be 80 years old in a nursing home, right? Hopefully not. Hopefully <laughs> that, but it can happen. Yeah, I love that. And in a sense, I think we all know that we're more attractive to potential partners when we're following our wants, our needs, our passions. Like that's yes. who people are attracted to. And on that note, you wrote a great article, which we're also publishing on Pregnant this month, about why making this choice to become a solo parent is really great for your love life or anyone's love life. Can you talk to us more about that? Yes. And I'm so glad that something just happened yesterday. So I have a little bit of evidence because this is not just a hypothesis. I swear this is <laughs> going to work out. I, I'm willing to be the guinea pig. And I'm actually thinking about possibly blogging about what happens with my own love life to show people because a lot of women reached out to me and are inspired by this. They're asking for advice. And, and I really think it's going to help my love life. And I'm seeing timing because because just last night, I think it's the third person. My baby is going to be six weeks old on Wednesday. I've had three random guys <laughs> already asking me out from just following me on social media. Someone last night, 739, I'm pulling up my Facebook. Do you want to have dinner? <laughs> and I said, it's not something that's on my radar right now with a newborn, but I appreciate your interest. And that's the truth. I'm not ready yet. I'll be ready soon. And I can talk more about that. But it's funny. I, I think people are sort of seeing like I'm really 
really happy. I, I went for this. I've been sharing my journey. I'm posting pictures and guys are already attracted to that out of nowhere. I'm not at all surprised about that. I think, you know, and you're not either because you wrote no. this, this piece for us, but you know, it, it totally makes sense. Not just because it's attractive that you took hold of your life and did something that's a priority to you and you followed your heart. I mean, that alone is just very attractive. But beyond that, we hear from men all the time who are interested in family building with a partner. And you now have shown that that's a priority to you too. One interesting trend we're finding at Pregnantish is single men having babies, which I don't think happened in the past as much at all. So have you have you met any, any men along the way who actually have said to you, I want to have kids and I'm excited that you took this step? Are they being open with you about that? Yes, I have. So it's more women that are reaching out to me, but there's actually two men that I know that we're considering. And I know one one man who actually has done this and has a teenager and he had an egg donor and everything. And I've spoken to him a couple years, but these other two, I actually got in touch with something called the Jewish Co-Parenting Association. Speaking of co-parenting, they reached yeah. out to me and they represent men who are looking for co-parents or women to donate eggs and they want to know the identity. So they're not going to really parent in the traditional sense, but they might see the child like a few times a year or something like that. Mm. But this, yeah, I know. I don't know how many women would want to do that actually. Well, well but, but these are modern constructs that we're going to see more and more. And that's what I always find fascinating yeah. about the world of pregnant-ish because this is modern family 3.0 we're talking yeah. about. Like these modern ways that we can have open donations with speaking of third-party reproduction, egg or sperm donation or embryo donation where the person is involved in the lives of the offspring, mm -hmm. knowing, you know, I'm not the main parent. I didn't right. raise this person, but I want to be involved. Well, that's just a new way of being in a family. What it do is. you think about it? Well, I don't mean to project how I am onto other women, but I guess my sense is from having had a baby and carried a baby, and I know you had a surrogate, which you have an amazing story. And I'm sure there's such an attachment, even when you're not carrying a baby, when you're having your cousin carry a baby for you, right? So you go through this whole, like getting pregnant, all everything to get pregnant. I mean, some people, I guess it's easy. They just have sex and that's it. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we spent all this money and time and blood, sweat and tears. And so, you know, going through that whole process, this, right? Emotional, physical investment, and then having the baby. And I mean, just going through what I am, I'm already so attached to my daughter. I think there's so many different ways to create a family. And to your point, maybe there's going to be more and more men that want to do this because they don't want to settle either. So I did refer these two men to the Jewish Parenting Association, co-parenting, and they're having conversations. So I'm excited that men are exploring this too. And it's not just women. Yeah, it's a it's a radical, new, exciting world of family. And so in, ter in terms of let's speak about sperm donation, uh, you know, today's episode sponsor is California Cryobank, which you, you, you used. And I I wanted to hear about how the heck you picked, because I know that they only accept something crazy like one percent of applicants. So you had a good pool to, to select from. But how do you even whittle down yes. like that? massive, probably most important life decision choice. Like, how did you do that? So 
this is going to sound crazy, but it's definitely not as hard as I thought it would be. It actually was easy. <laughs> and speaking of selecting a sperm donor, I wanted to take a brief opportunity to thank today's episode sponsor, California Cryobank, which carefully selects the highest quality sperm donors to give clients the best possible opportunity for a safe and successful pregnancy. In fact, less than 1% of applicants can become a California Cryobank donor. California Cryobank serves its customers by providing a diverse selection of over 300 highly screened donors representing over 90 different ancestries. Nearly all donors in their network are currently attending or have graduated college, and a comprehensive psychological screening and criminal background check is part of their selection process. This is one reason it's the number one sperm bank recommended by physicians. Rachel is one of many happy California Cryobank customers. And now back to her story of building her family as a solo parent. Wow. Maybe because you're a matchmaker. I know. <laughs> I want to go as far to say, I, I told myself that I'm not going to stress over this. It seems like the most important decision on picking half of the DNA, right? So it's like you could kind of ponder this and go on forever. But I told myself I wasn't going to do that because I'm overly analytical enough, but I had to make a good solid decision. So first thing, so I learned by doing the genetic testing that I had a gene for something called hypophosphatasia, I believe. And it's a genetic disorder that could cause rickets in babies. I never had that, thankfully. And I, so I had to look for someone that, you know, wasn't going to also have that gene. So that, that eliminated a lot of people, actually. This is very common. And so that, that narrowed the pool down. Then I think what was also very important to me in my research, I saw that there's some donors that are totally anonymous and there's some that disclose their identity at age 18. And I wanted that. And so that eliminated a lot of people actually as well. <laughs> and then I thought from there, well, I, I want this to work, right? I'm paying for the sperm, I'm paying for these IUI procedures starting out, and then IVF, it's all very expensive. There's no insurance coverage. I'm going to be a solo mom, all that. So I was like, I need someone who's had multiple pregnancies. Meaning a sperm donor who has impregnated, like with the sperm, yeah, uh, other women? Yes, other women. And I'm so glad I did this. I could tell you more, but I found already that my daughter has half siblings. There's six of them already <laughs> that I've identified. <laughs> So that's super cool. And so that was all, those were three things that were very important to me. And then obviously I'm going to look at the medical history. I wanted like a total clean bill of health and, and all of that. And then I think what I started to do was choose someone that I actually would date. Here's my matchmaker thinking. I wanted to choose someone who had the qualities of a man that I would be looking for. So I ended up picking someone who has an MBA, is an entrepreneur, sounds like a very successful business, is an athlete, has musical talent. One of the things that I really liked about him a lot is that he was self-made and he talked in an interview. I heard him do this personal interview. It was about 10, 15 minutes. How The characteristics that he had growing up and how he didn't come from much and how he worked so hard. And he just sounded like, more outstanding than the rest. And this guy was a little older. He was actually 38, which maybe seems risky because I thought, oh, younger sperm better. But he was more established. And he said that he was doing this because 
there is someone in his family that had trouble getting pregnant and he, she went through the process of using a sperm donor and then he wanted to do it and give back. And he was in the program for a couple of years. So I thought, wow, like that's really altruistic. And he just sounds great on his interview and he sounds different than any of the other interviews I listened to. So once I heard that, that I also heard a story about him as a child showing a lot of courage. He had a cute little story about how he chased after his brother with a stick when there was uh, someone coming and bullying and actually chased the bully. So I'm going on, but you could tell I'm excited. Like I really liked the donor and I felt like, oh, this is a quality guy. I would date him. This is going to be the donor for for my child. Yeah, absolutely get that. I mean, in a way, that's how we should think about it because, and in, in another way, I will say that daters don't get to know about medical history and yeah. other things that we have the privilege of knowing when we pursue third-party reproduction this way. It's so interesting to me, Rachel, because on one of the first pregnancy podcasts, we interviewed a 33-time sperm donor, which I don't think could happen today. This was in the 1980s. But we also interviewed Selena, who used a sperm donor and through our podcast sent a message to him if he were listening. Now, obviously right now you don't know who this donor is, but just in the first six weeks of your daughter's life, is there any kind of message you would share to someone listening who's a donor about any gratitude or, or feelings you want to share about this donation? Oh, yeah. I'm so grateful that this exists and that there's this time that I'm living in this time where we could do this and we have the technology and there's there's people that are out there that are donating. I think it's wonderful. And I would say that if there's any guys that are listening that are contemplating this and thinking like, oh, is it weird that there's a bunch of babies <laughs> in the world with my DNA? I would say just do it. You're giving someone the the greatest gift. It's just you know so precious to be able to have this baby. And I, I think that it's just one of the most beautiful things they can do. Yeah, that's awesome. I think also, you know, you, you talked about the donor siblings, the half siblings, which, which are known in this world as diblings. <laughs> what do you think? I know it's really early again, you have a newborn, but do you imagine in the future you're going to make connections with these, this extended family? Like, what are your hopes for that? I hope so. I, I um, signed up, I registered for the donor sibling registry. So I got kind of like the lifelong membership. And now there's there's six babies, but there could be more at any time. And I'd be notified with messages. I found out that one of the people that shares the same donor is actually, she's on the West Coast and she's a solo mom as well. And she has a baby that's just a couple months older than my daughter. So that was really exciting. So I hope to to get to know her. I'm actually waiting for a request to a private Facebook group to be approved. I just did this the other day. And wow. apparently they're, they have a secret group and the families are, are all in there. So yeah, I would love to, to build a relationship with some of these people and certainly exchange baby photos and all that. But if they were local or if there's I don't know if they're where they are around the world or if they're in the U.S., but I mean, someone on the West Coast, maybe at some point we we can meet and have the, the children meet. Yeah, that that that's incredible. What do you think? I know you're using the term solo parent, but it's so often called single mom by choice, which I think is a misnomer because so many people and probably yourself included 
we're hoping to have a partner to build a family originally, but like what resonates for you? What do, do you, when people say single mom by choice, do you identify with that? Do you identify more with solo parent? I think solo parent. I, I've been sort of using both single mom by choice. That's the organization. And that's what people are saying most of the time. But I've kind of had the same struggle and thought of it the same way that you do. I didn't really choose to be single. <laughs> I didn't want to be single. I, I chose to have a baby solo. So maybe I'm going to start going by solo mom, <laughs> mm -hmm. solo mom by choice. And I hope to not be single for, for that long, right? So I don't want to identify with that overly and then like get stuck in that concept of being single. I hear you. So in terms of when you were single undergoing fertility treatments, you started with IUI. You went on to IVF, but that can't be easy. I mean, it's hard enough. I know having gone through so many fertility treatments, hard enough doing all the injections, all the appointments, blood work, ultrasound, the fear, anxiety. With a partner, it's so hard. Any advice to other people who are unpartnered looking to undergo fertility treatments? And what was your experience? Yeah. Okay. I guess I'll start with my experience and then I could come up with some advice. It's a really... <laughs> Really good question. I think that my situation was because of the time it was with the pandemic, in some ways it was harder, in some ways it was easier. So harder in the sense that I gave myself every single needle and injection. I did not have anyone come to any of the appointments with me. This was all because of COVID, not having anyone allowed in there to do those ultrasounds or in terms of the, there were some people who had offered, you know, friends if I needed help with the injections, but because of COVID and because of where I was living and the timing that I had to do them, it just didn't make sense. So I did all that alone. So I think that you have to be, I guess if you're considering in this path, you you have an independent streak to you. So you're you're getting started with the process. If you're gonna probably have to do a lot of things alone, especially if you start right now. Being okay with that and being strong emotionally and keeping yourself grounded, I think. I tried to minimize other stresses in my life. And this is when I say the pandemic was kind of like good for this as well, because I've been working from home for almost two years now. So Yes, I'm commuting to all these doctor's appointments, but at least I wasn't also commuting to work because that would have added another layer. So I would say before undergoing all of this to really look at your life and see what can be eliminated and really only do things that are necessary that are you know, going to contribute to, to what you need to do to, to achieve your goals and your vision. And of course, have fun and, and make time for that too. But I would say to try to take some things off your plate because it is physically and emotionally draining and maybe having, not having a partner, but I, I was very lucky to have a lot of friends and family. And then when I started sharing my story, you know, so many people that are just really acquaintances were reaching out if I need advice, other women who've been through IVF. So to really like kind of make yourself open to, to, okay, I don't have a partner, but I can still get emotional support from other people. And those other people, you talked about the village at the beginning, that took the shape of what, friends, family, and an online community? Like who were, who was in your village? 
all of the above. And as you know, because I've been in the matchmaking world for going on 17 years now, I think that there's a whole matchmaking community too that really is very excited that I'm doing this. And people were very kind, sending me gifts, connecting me with other women that they know that were solo moms, talking to me about IVF. There's the matchmaker who has done this as well. So I think that I had an added element of community there that I built through work with colleagues. Love that. I th in the matchmaking world, I mean, I think people would think it's similar to find your donor match versus dating match, but what's similar, what's different in your opinion? So I think what's similar is that there's certain criteria that you want. Like I was saying, oh, my donor has an MBA, so let's assume he's probably smart, but <laughs> you could be smart with an MBA or not. So, you know, I, I was kind of like trying to check some of the boxes, I guess, but then other things didn't matter. Like he's 5'9", and I'm 5'10", so if I was dating, I probably wouldn't look for someone 5'9". <laughs> I would look for someone probably 5'10 and above, but now it didn't matter. So there were little things like that where there was more flexibility with a donor. The other thing, obviously, is that you don't have to look for that elusive chemistry, right? That's not, that's off the table. So you can kind of make an objective decision with the donor. Whereas with dating, it's really about that feeling and that connection and hopefully the spark that everyone is looking for. Yeah. But in the sense you did have the spark when you, when your gut told you this is the match, it's just a different, a different gut feeling, I guess, right? You're yeah. not, you're not seduced by pheromones in this case, but you're definitely, following your heart, your gut towards the match. So it's so, so interesting. What did your family and friends think of this step when you told them, I'm going to pursue solo parenting? Did you have any pushback? Were most people supportive? And what advice do you have to others who, who may face pushback? Yeah, so I had an interesting experience in the beginning. I don't think that people really took it seriously. Like when I was doing the IUIs, I remember being a little upset. If my family's listening to this, hopefully they will not be upset. <laughs> but I remember like they just didn't think that it was, I don't think they took it seriously. Like I was really going to do it. Like particularly my father, I think that he was a little almost like offended by it, that I was eliminating the role of a father as if that wasn't like, that wasn't important, but that was not the case. It was just like, okay, I want a baby. This is how I have to get a baby. So he wasn't very supportive in the beginning, but now he's totally, when the baby comes, everything changes, right? <laughs> now mm -hmm. he's totally in love. So my mom and my sister, I mean, they were kind of, you know, they were talking to me about it and they were keeping up with what I was doing. But I remember going to dinner with my parents and my sister one day, and it was like the day that I had the IUI procedure and it was just like casually brought up. And then the other topics, whatever they were talking about, they were talking about, but it was such a big deal. And it was like, people kind of minimized it or didn't pay attention to it in the beginning. But then when I went through IVF, they became more, more supportive. And my sister brought me to my retrieval. And then when I did get pregnant, she turned out to be my birth partner and was just so amazing and just wow. there for me completely and was there throughout labor, delivery, now afterward. So I think as I got more serious, it, it got more serious and everyone around me did get more supportive. Um, I didn't have anyone tell me like not to do it really, except one person who was in the matchmaking community and kind of asked me if I would, wouldn't I rather just meet a guy and fall in love? <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> duh. 
Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it can't be, you know, and you, you said it so well, Rachel, it's not mutually exclusive. Like yeah. you can decide to solo parent and also want to find love. Like those two yes. aren't mutually exclusive. And I think that's so important to convey yes. in the episode. <laughs> so true. You know, what's funny, a, a little story many, many years ago, my godparents who, um, their daughter, I think, was one of the early single solo parents mm -hmm. um, because it was in the 90s. Murphy Brown was on at that time. And there was a storyline, I think, about Murphy. I never watched it, but Murphy Brown becoming a solo parent. Okay. And um, Laura, my godparents' daughter, when she was in her mid or late 30s, decided to pursue uh, sperm donation and solo parenting. And her parents, again, this was many, many years ago, this was 20, 20 plus years ago, didn't agree with it. Well, mm. same, same result. They fell completely in love with their grandson. And when they would be asked about the father or the biological father, you know, who is the father of your grandson, they would call him their sperm-in-law. <laughs> oh my God. That's so cute. It was really I cute. But I, you know, I don't, I think that's such a common, what you said is such a common reality in the world of uh, reproductive medicine, modern family building, that the families who had sex and had babies don't always understand these alternative paths we take when science is involved and third party reproduction is involved. But I've rarely heard a story where someone wasn't on board once baby came. So. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so funny. But once baby came, right, when you actually have the success, I have so many people like that are saying to me, oh, I wish I did this. This was like older family members that don't have kids. I wasn't this wasn't around in my time. I'm so happy for you. You're so brave. Listen, you know, now once baby's here and they see the success, everyone is on board. Wow, that's so beautiful. Is there anything else you want to add about your experience stepping into this new incredible role. Yes. I just was thinking of something as you were speaking. One thing that really, I believe has helped me was not having any shame about this and just owning my own story. At first, when I was in the contemplation stage, I guess my work as a matchmaker and as a dating coach sort of complicated this because I thought, what are people going to say? Is this going to be bad for business? You know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this, but they say like the shoemaker without the shoe, she hasn't found her own match, right? Now she's going to find me a match. So mm -hmm. I was worried if people would, would think that was a problem. But I know that that has nothing to do with, obviously, I mean, there's matchmakers that get married and then get divorced. So right. they're, they're single too, right? At least I didn't go through the divorce, I can say, and, and go through that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. So I thought, you know what, there shouldn't be any more judgment to, to me than it should be for anyone else. People can be married and they're not happily married. Like, what does that actually mean? My, my work, my professional ability to match other people is based on my intuition and my database and my resources and, you know, interpersonal skills. It really doesn't have to do with have I found the one on this time clock and, and gotten married? So I got over that. That was something that was a hurdle I had to get over. And then once I owned that and started telling people and having no shame, I think that that was the game changer. And I'm so glad I told people because I know that there's people, and this may not be for everyone, but I know there's people that don't share their story. And I just think sharing it 
has led to so many things. And one that I wanted to mention that was really helpful to my journey here is that I have a friend who had another friend who also wanted to be a solo mom. And as it turns out, now this other girl is one of my good friends. And she actually got pregnant six weeks after me through IVF on the first try, as I did as well. And she just had her baby. So I was late having my baby and she was early. So our babies are two weeks apart. So we went through IVF, pregnancy, and now new motherhood together. <laughs> and she actually lives in Connecticut. I'm in New Jersey. So we saw each other a couple of times, but we text all the time. We have phone conversations. We're talking about vaccine now for babies. It's just mm. so nice to have someone going through the exact same experience mm. and become a friend. And if I didn't tell people and get over like, what are people going to think, then I wouldn't have this friendship and this experience. So and that that mirrors actually, in general, going through the process of fertility treatments and staying silent, which I'd never judge anyone who does that. But when we kind of come out of the closet yeah. with what we're doing. In my case, I came out as infertile five years ago, very loudly in media mm -hmm. and on my Facebook. The moment I came out, there was so much power in that, not in terms only of my own kind of process of, oh, wow, now I'm not carrying the secret. Why should this be a shameful secret? It shouldn't. But also finding my people, finding my purpose, finding so many gifts through the community that would not have been accessed had I not shared. And in your case, the same thing, finding new relationships and connections. So that's incredible. I, where can people find you to learn more about your work and also your solo parenting journey? Thank you so much for that and, and for giving me this opportunity, first of all. And I'm so glad you did share and created this or we wouldn't be having this conversation. So here we are. And my website is rachelrusso.com, R-A-C-H-E-L-R-U-S-S-O.com. And they can connect with me there. They can email me, rachel at rachelrusso.com. I'm sharing a lot on Instagram in my little, what do you call it? I have mommy brain. <laughs> Your handle? Rachel.russo is my handle on Instagram. And as I mentioned, I really do think I'm going to be starting a blog. <laughs> the first few weeks were hard. My daughter had tongue tie and all kinds of issues and we're in physical therapy and all this stuff. But once that is, is taken care of, I think I'm going to be blogging and sharing more about my journey. So I'll update that on my website and also on Instagram as well. Love it. Thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you listeners for listening to another episode of the Pregnant Podcast, where we talk about the modern, beautiful, complicated, extraordinary ways people create their families today. Until next time.